Amen. Exodus chapter 3, verses 10 through 15 this morning. This is God's word to you. God says to Moses, now go, for I'm sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. But Moses protested. He protested to God, who am I? Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? And who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? God answered Moses, I will be with you. And this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. But Moses protested. If I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. This is God's word to you today. You can be seated. Thank you, guys. Good morning, everybody. All right, so let's jump straight in. God's invitation, God's invitation for us to know him more deeply, which is what our series is all about, and to follow him at a deeper level, more intently, will always lead us to a crisis of belief, a crisis that requires us to trust God and believe God in ways that we haven't yet believed him and trusted him. And this takes us back to what Henry Blackaby, who literally wrote the book, Experiencing God, which I would encourage you to grab and and go deeper individually or as a family or as a community group. And in the book, Henry Blackaby says this. He says, Christianity is not a set of understandings or a a doctrine to, to understand. It's not a set of beliefs. It's, it's a person to follow. What does this mean? It means that Christianity is not just an intellectual assent to understand things or to know just about God. It's a person that I'm actually following in relationship and I'm knowing God. And there's a difference between knowing about God and knowing God. And oftentimes, everybody watch this, the difference between knowing about God or things about God and knowing God happens in crisis. And here's, here's the thing. If you, don't, if you don't take anything else away from this morning, this message, I hope you'll take this. You won't know what you really believe until you really need to believe it. You will not know what you really believe about God until you really need to believe it about God. And so God is always busy bringing us to these these points in our life, these inflection points, these crossroads, this crisis of belief where we, we have to dig deep to what we really believe about God and ourselves and about other people. The, the way that I talk about it a lot of times is the belief of what is the true story? What am I believing about the true story about God and myself and about other people? Because there's, I think you would agree with me, there's a lot of stories that a lot of people want to tell you about yourself and about God and other people. What does God tell us about himself? 
How do we understand God and relate to God? This is what, we're, this is what the whole series is about. And we've been looking at these realities, uh, these ways that God has been known to speak, these ways that God has been known to show up in people's lives just like us and, and reveal himself to us and help us in these crises of belief to, to know him and to trust him more. And so let's spin ourselves back up with our realities. The first reality is that God is always at work around us. So, so before we started working or before we started asking God to work in our lives, which I know many of us today who are sitting here, those of you watching online, want to see God work. God is at work around you. God has always been working. I love what John Piper says. He says, God is working in your life in 10,000 ways, and we know like three of them. Like we can see like three, maybe if you're really spiritual, four of them. But God is working in like 10,000 ways, always in your life. And then the second reality, God is always pursuing in that work a real and personal relationship with you. God is meeting you in your story and your family of origin and the place that you grew up in with your religious history or background or lack thereof. God is meeting you in your pain and your disappointment. God calls out to you by name because he deeply wants a personal relationship with you. And that's why Jesus came to us to begin that and initiate that relationship with us. And then the third reality, God invites us into his work. And what is his work? Let's go back to number one and two. God's work is to take the people that are following him and know him and help other people to find him and follow him. So God's always out of relationship inviting us, his people, to join him in his great rescue mission in the world. The same thing that's happening in our text here with Moses. And help other people to find him and to passionately follow after him. And spoiler alert, the more you join God in his work of rescuing other people, the more you grow in your relationship and your faith in God. Last week we looked at the fact and the reality that God speaks that God speaks through creation. He speaks in all kinds of different ways. But specifically, we learned that God speaks by the Holy Spirit, that the triune God, all three persons of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all three persons are speaking and communicating to humanity. And they always have been since the very beginning. But specifically, God speaks now by the Holy Spirit through four primary ways. The Bible, through prayer, circumstances, and his people, the church, the capital C church, the people of God. In other words, God uses his people to speak and confirm and help speak on his behalf to other people. And he always speaks in these ways primarily to reveal himself, his purposes, and his ways. And that brings us to this fifth reality today, that God is always inviting us to know him more deeply, to follow him more intently, and God's invitation to experience and follow him will always lead us to a crisis of belief. Now, why would God want us to experience a crisis of belief? Why would God's invitation move us and draw us and design us into these places where we have to believe God, we have to trust God in deeper ways? Because, again, it's in those places of crisis that our faith is formed and forged. And you will not know what you believe about God. You will not know how much you trust God until you have to trust God and believe God. And I'm sure in a room this size, and for those of you watching online, that you can think of many moments in your life where you've been in a crisis of belief. Maybe you're in one right now. And you've heard me say this before, that you're either in a crisis, you're coming out of a crisis, or you're getting ready to go into a crisis. 
That's the reality of this broken world. And God uses those crises. He doesn't always cause them, but he uses them to deepen our faith. Here's a picture if you're a visual person. I know I am. It's a, if, you went, if you ever grew up as a kid going to the circus, it's the trapeze artist who is flying from one bar to another bar. And it's an incredible thing where they, they swing through the air and they have to let go of one bar and fully grab hold of the other bar. But oftentimes in our faith journey as we're doing that, we want to hold on to what we know right? We want to settle because it's comfortable and this is familiar to me and I don't want to let go of it in order to trust God for the next thing or the deeper thing that he might have for me. So maybe I'm the only one, but there's been a lot of times in my faith journey with Jesus where I've been holding both sides of the bar and nobody wants to watch that, right? That's just painful to watch. We didn't pay to see this. And, and a good trapeze artist has to write, they have to use their momentum and let go fully and fully embrace that the next bar is going to be there and grab onto it. If you grew up as a, a child of the 80s like me, watching Indiana Jones, it's him standing right at this big uh, crevasse. He's got to cross it. There's no bridge. He throws the rocks out. Do you remember? And they appear and he's got to take a step. And it's only as he takes a step that the ground meets his foot. But every time he takes a step, he's got to put his full weight into it and trust that it's going to appear. And God's always bringing us to these spiritual places in our life where we have to trust him. He's always moving us out of our comfort zone so we can trust him more and more. And why does he do this? He does it so that we can deepen our faith in him. And moreover, I think he does it so that we don't get too comfortable in this world and mistake this world for our home. So he's always busy moving us to places where we have to trust him more and put him first in our lives. I'll tell you a quick story because I know all of you have stories that you're living in right now. Some of you are right smack dab in the middle of the crisis or you're just coming out of it or maybe you're getting ready to head into it, maybe even today. I don't wish that on you. All of us wish we could spare you from it. But in this broken world, we're always going to be experiencing crisis. And the deeper work is what happens in crisis. What happens where we have to believe God and follow him more? I'll share quickly a moment in my life. There's been many where I've been in a crisis of belief, and I'm sure there's many more to come. The one that came to mind was about 15 years ago. We were in ministry at another place, and we had been there for almost 11 years. We loved it. And it was safe, right? It was the trapeze artist with the bar. I don't want to let go because this is really safe and familiar. But yet we, Jen and I felt like God was stirring us for something deeper, for something more, to take a step of faith. And to be honest with you and be vulnerable in front of you, I, I was pushing that away. And I probably waited too long. I probably pushed it down for a couple of years just thinking, no, I don't want to do that. It's too scary. It, it would require too much faith. I don't want to do it. And so I continue to kind of hold on to both bars, right? But through a set of circumstances and God's invitation, God was just shepherding us to this place, and, and, and the way I think about it is like, it was, he was shepherding us to this place, and it may sound strange, but he was getting us to this place where if he didn't come through, we were through. And I think that there's moments in our life, right, where he just moves us to places where if God doesn't come through and he's not faithful to be who he's going to be, not in the ways that I think he's going to do it, but if God doesn't come through, I don't know what's going to happen. We might be through. At this point in our life, we had a four-year-old, a three-year-old, and a six-month-old. And Jim was a CMS fifth grade school teacher and she had come home uh, to take care of our kids for that season. And so I was our, you know, source of income, how we put food on the table. And so it was super scary that God was calling us out of that into something deeper and more. 
And just to fast forward in the story, we prayed about that for a while. Lots of different circumstances happened. It wasn't all clean. It wasn't, you know, but God was clearly pulling us to this place and pushing us to this place. So I remember having a conversation with someone in that ministry about what God had put on our hearts and, you know, asking like, hey, w- w- maybe you would help us do this and, and this will be great and we can whatever. And the answer was not what I was expecting. It was no, we're, you know, great, good for you. You should go and do that. We're not going to do that, but you should. And I was like, no, 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 no. The way I had all this planned out on my Excel document here was that you were going to say yes and you were gonna take away all the risk. And, and then I was really gonna trust God because you were the one that was gonna be taking all the risk. No, no, no. You have faith, this is your calling. You should go and do that. We're not doing that. And this was a huge crisis for me. And if I'm honest, I wish I could tell you like, I just trusted God perfectly and I never doubted and never had any fears. But the truth is that as a young man and a young father, I was terrified. And I had so, many, so much self-doubt and so much of my story wrapped up into this and my wounds and my hurt that came out. And they do come out in this crisis of belief. And specifically in this season where we had to make a decision about what we were going to do. Another, this is amazing, right? This happens all the time. Another opportunity came open out of the blue that was so safe. And it, it was a great opportunity and job in, in Chicago. And so... I thought, this is it, we, it, you know, I'm, we're gonna take the chicken exit here and we're gonna take this job and not do clearly what God has been telling us to do because it's safer and it makes sense on paper. And we came to this focal point where we had to make a decision. Maybe you've been in this place or you're in this place in your life. And I remember we found ourselves in Atlanta one weekend where we had to make a decision on Monday. And Friday night, we went to help out a friend at an event and he had us um, selling tickets at his event. And it was a cheerleading event of all things. And we were at the old Georgia Dome before they tore it down and built the, the new one in, in Atlanta. And, and so we're in, I'm in this will call office at the old Georgia Dome on Friday night. And I'm, I'm, I've got all this crisis swirling around me. I've got mouth sores. I mean, I'm in turmoil. And people are coming up and arguing with me about their cheerleading tickets and what they've paid for and whatever. And I'm like, I don't care. I don't care about any of this. And not to diminish cheerleading, but I'm like, you know, I went to seminary. I'm like, I'm supposed to be doing ministry stuff and I'm, it's Friday night and I'm at the Georgia Dome selling cheerleading tickets. Like what, what has happened to me, God? What's happened in my life? You know, why are you so mad at me? And all these things were coming out in me and I just, I was in such a state. I was in such crisis and, and maybe you've been in that place too. And what, what was really happening because I thought it was about all these other things and this person didn't do what I thought they were gonna do. They were supposed to do this and I was mad because this didn't happen and this is not where I'm supposed to be in my life and this is not what my life plan was and whatever, what was happening is all of this stuff was getting squeezed out of me and it wasn't pretty. And you know, crisis has a way like toothpaste, it squeezes the tube and what's on the inside comes out. And the truth is that I, I believed in God, but I didn't really believe God. I didn't really trust God with my three little kids and my wife and all the things. I had it all planned out and this was way too much risk for me. I, I, I wonder if you have a story like that. You may have many. I wonder if you're, if you're in a story right now like that or maybe it's coming. We're in following Jesus because remember, it's not an intellectual ascent. It's following the person of Jesus and it's wild. It's an adventure that God has you on, just like the early disciples. 
and you don't necessarily know what's coming next, but it's always requiring you to trust God in new and fresh ways. I wonder what that could look like for you. What I love about our passage that we open with in Exodus 3 and 4, and I want to take us back there, is that we basically get to see a person, Moses, have a crisis of belief right in front of us. Now, here's the beautiful thing for you and me. Nobody was sitting there scribing my journey at the you know, will call office at the old Georgia Dome and me having this existential crisis of belief and writing it all down. Oh, you're saying that about God? You're thinking all these thoughts about God? You're doubting God in all these ways? Nobody recorded it for all time for everybody to read. That's what happened with Moses. And the beauty of the scriptures among so many other things is it's full of real people just like us that wrestle, that struggle, that don't always get it right. And yet through the crisis, God is doing something so much deeper. And what I wanna do over the next couple of minutes is I wanna show you Moses's crisis of belief. Because a couple weeks ago under reality three that God invites us into his work, we looked at the call of Moses and you can go back and listen to that, Exodus one through three. But when we pick up the passage today in verse 10, chapter three, God has just given and invited Moses into this incredible mission, the greatest rescue mission ever known, which by the way, God invites us into as well, to join him in his work, which is the greatest rescue mission humanity's ever known, to rescue people out of slavery to sin. And in that, Moses, just like us, has a crisis of belief. He doesn't just say, and look at verse 10, here's the invitation, I want you to go stand before Pharaoh, which in context, Pharaoh at this point is the most powerful person in the world, okay? And the most powerful country in the world. So I want you to go see Pharaoh. I want you to go see the president. I want you to stand before him and say, let my people go. And I want you to walk straight out of Egypt with my people. And Moses has this existential crisis of belief right in front of us, recorded in Exodus 3 and 4. And my, here's my hope over the next couple of minutes. As you listen to it, that it's going to meet you in your story. And the way I want you to hear this, as you hear this, the, these different parts of his crisis of belief, is for it to grab you where you are in your crisis of belief. And for the same words that God spoke to Moses, because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, that you would hear him speaking to you, right into the middle of your crisis, right into the middle of your Georgia Dome at the ticket office selling tickets to cheerleaders, whatever it might be for you, wondering what on earth am I doing? right into your crisis. And here, here's the first part, okay? First part of four. If you, if you have anything to write with, I just wanna encourage you to, to write these down. You can write on your hand, your arm. You could write it. Don't write on your neighbor's hand or arm. If you have anything, you take the prayer card in front of you, use your phone, whatever. I just wanna encourage you to write these down because God's, God's giving us his word. He's speaking and he's gonna speak right into, for some of you, right into the storm right into the crisis today that you're living in, or maybe guys, that you're getting ready to go into. And God wants to prepare you for the crisis that's coming. And here it is right in front of us from Moses's life, okay? First part of the crisis. God says, hey, I want you to go to Egypt, stand before Pharaoh, I'm inviting you to this larger than life mission, something more, right? Invitation to join him that leads to a crisis of belief. And here's the first part of it. Moses says, I'm so excited, God, that you met me here and I'm ready to go. Is that what he says? No. In fact, the word that's used here three different times is Moses' protest. Okay, so let's put ourselves in context. Moses is 80 years old at this point, 
Remember, he lived to 120, and his life is divided in three different sections of 40. His first 40 years were in Egypt. That ends with him murdering an Egyptian and being on a run as a fugitive, not having an identity as a Hebrew or an Egyptian, and finding himself in Exodus 2.15, sitting down by a well, remember this, wondering what has happened to my life. I love Exodus 2.15 because it reminds me of the Georgia Dome. What has happened to me? How did, how did I get here? How did I get myself in this mess? How can I get out of this? And God meets him in that moment. We talked about that. Fast forward 40 years. Moses is married. He has a child. He has a job. He has a home. And he's living in a place called Midian, which means wilderness or the middle. So in the middle section of his life, Moses settles. He settles in. And for some of us, right, with God's call in our life and the invitation that came to you a long time ago, you did something, you made a bad choice, you, you, you acted out of character or maybe in character, you acted rashly, whatever, and you blew it. And some of you feel like, man, way back here in my past, I blew it and God's done with me. And one of the things that we need to see in Moses' story is God's not done with Moses. And God's not done with you. Moses spends 40 years, a generation in the wilderness, in obscurity, and God finds him there. And remember what we talked about. God is busy catching your character up to his calling. So character has to match calling. It's a tragedy and a burden for someone to have a great calling and no character. So God's always busy helping us to match our character with a great calling. And now's the moment, the intersection where God's character has been developed in Moses for 40 years and his calling that's never changed, his invitation to join his work. And we find it as an 80-year-old at a burning bush in Exodus 3. And God gives this invitation. And you would think, like, this is what I love about the Bible. It's not sanitized. You, you would think that this invitation to follow God and join him in this great rescue mission and what was burning in his heart as a 40-year-old to rescue his people, now God's found me and now I'm ready to join in Moses' protest. And here's the protest if you're taking notes. The first one, and, and, and again, I hope this speaks into your own story. Moses says, who am I? What a question, by the way. M maybe one of the most profound questions that you can ever ask in your life. Many people don't ask that question because it's a scary question. Who am I? What is my story? How did I get here? For many of us, we just shove that away and we scroll through a newsfeed because we don't want to contemplate what is my story. But God's invitation to know him more is also an invitation to know yourself more, right? It, it always is. And it means coming to terms with your own story, the good, the bad, and yes, for Moses, the ugly that probably had never been dealt with. And so for many of us, just to say, we think about our past or what's happened. We think about the story of Moses and 80 years have passed, right? And he's entering into his fourth quarter of life. And so much of his life has been defined by his past. And so in this invitation to follow God and to participate in this incredible rescue mission, Moses doesn't think he's worthy. And he asks God, you know, who am I? I mean, I'm a nobody. I'm a shepherd in the middle of nowhere. Who am I that you would use me in this way? And don't you know that Moses was thinking, don't you know I murdered someone? Don't you know I blew it back here? I, I can't participate. I've disqualified myself. And for so many of you, right, when you think about stuff in your past and decisions that you've made and failures that you've had, it becomes this tether or this bungee cord that's, you know, on your back and nobody else can see it. But in the spiritual realm, you've got a, a cord tied to your back. 
And every time you try to follow Jesus in a more passionate way and accept his invitation to, you know, either whether it's relationally or financially or however otherwise, you've got this invisible spiritual cord that just keeps pulling you backwards. And it's called your past. And it fills you with guilt and shame and I can't get past it and God doesn't forgive me. And I want you to look at the story of Moses where yes, God allows 40 years of Moses' life to develop character and continue to help grow him up, but at the right time, he's not done with him, and God's not done with you. If, if you can fog a mirror this morning, and, and it looks like all of you can, God's not done with you. If you woke up this morning, God's not done with you. But listen, you'll miss it if you have a, a bungee cord to your back, to your past, and you always come back to your worst moment and define yourself by that. And this is what's happening with Moses. And here's the thing, I know this might sound cheesy, but I believe this, that your past, including your mistakes, can either be a bungee cord or a propeller. They can either help push you forward into the arms of Jesus and understand that, look, my past doesn't define me, but it informs me. It informs me that left unto myself, I'm gonna make a total disaster of my life, right? And I've got ample evidence to show that but I'm not defined by my worst moment. We tend to culturally define people by their worst moment. And God defines us by his best moment on the cross for us. So Moses is wrestling with this and he has to come to terms with his past and it comes through this question of identity of, of who am I? And you wanna know how God speaks into it? Same way he speaks into ours. He says, he doesn't, well, here's what he doesn't say. Moses, you're a great guy. You're a great guy. And you've done your time. You've paid your sentence, right? You've, you've paid off your debts of 40 years, right? Just forget about it. He doesn't put on a Tony Robbins, you know, listen, you're good enough. You're smart enough. People like you. Just power up and get out there, Moses. You can do it. It's not what God says. God's, God's, God absorbs his question and says, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to go with you. My presence is going to be with you. By the way, Jesus says the same thing to us. I'm going to be with you. It's not about you. It's about me and my mission, and I'm inviting you into that. In other words, you're not the star of the show. This is not about you, Moses. My presence is gonna overwhelm your past, including your mistakes. And you would think like in that moment, again, it's recorded for us to see, like God speaks right into that. Maybe for you, that's exactly where you are, that you need to know that your identity is in Jesus, not in your past mistakes. And you need to use your past as a propeller to, to drive you into the arms of Jesus and that identity instead of pulling you back to your worst moments. Think about the Apostle Paul, by the way. The Apostle Paul, who was known as Saul, murdered people, watched as Stephen was stoned, persecuted people, was on his way to arrest more people who followed Jesus, to stamp out the way, stamp out people that had followed Jesus. Many people think that the thorn in, in, in Paul's flesh was the thorn of memory of his past, that he was haunted by his past. And this is why he writes, this one thing I do. You remember this? When, when someone says, I think about this one thing, this one thing I do, we should sit up and listen. What, what is the one thing? Paul says, this one thing I do, I forget the past. And I press on to take hold of that which took hold of me. 
In other words, I use my past as a propeller to move me into the arms of Jesus and take hold, the one who took hold of me and pulled me into his arm and pulled me into his identity. Because if I live back here, I'm ruined. And it's always gonna be a bungee cord every time I wanna go forward in my life, relationally, financially, whatever way in your life, I'm always gonna be pulled back to my past and think I'm not good enough. And here's the spoiler alert, guys, you're not. And that's the beauty of Christianity is coming to the end of yourself. God is. So Moses says, who am I? Here's the second one, if you're taking notes. First part of the, the crisis, who am I? Second one, who are you? Who are you, God? If you say you're gonna be with me, then the next crisis of belief here is, do I really know God? And by the way, in these moments of crisis, it, it's revealed what's squeezed out of you is, what do I really believe about God? It's one thing to theologically know things about God, right? It's another thing to live them out, right? Every good doctrine, to use it that word, or belief, has to become ethic. What's in your heart and your head has to come out in your hands. And by the way, how you're behaving is what you're believing over time. And so this is exactly what's happening here where, where Moses is saying like, God, you say you're gonna be with me in your presence, but who are you? Do I really know you? And here's what I think is happening. Moses knew a lot about God, but I'm not sure that Moses ever really knew God until this moment. And as God speaks his name from the, the burning bush and then begins to speak into his crisis of belief, he begins to move from just knowing about God to knowing God. And how does God specifically answer Moses here? Look at the passage, verses 13 through 15. He says, you tell the people, this is who I am. I am that I am. You go, what kind of answer is that? It's an answer of completion. The phrase I am is an is a, is a answer that says, you can't put vernacular or vocabulary or words to who I am. I, I, am, I am so complete that there's not language to describe who I am. So this, this is what this means, I am that I am. And then he says, you tell them that I, I'm the God of their ancestors, because they know that, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they know that. You tell them that I am coming. God is speaking deeply into the crisis of character here that Moses is having, character about God, and our own crisis of what we believe about God. Again, it's one thing to believe that, that God is good, it's another thing to believe that God is good in the middle of your hell, in the middle of your transition, of your pain, of your confusion and disappointment. That, that's where the rubber really meets the road. And I love that God doesn't shame Moses for his doubts and his fears, that God speaks into them. So many of us are so concerned that God can't take our disappointment, and he can. He absorbs all this and speaks truth into it about his character and who he really is. John Calvin, who wrote The Institutes of Christianity, just a light reading, 1,800 pages. And the opening line of The Institutes, the opening line of The Institutes is, the bedrock of wisdom is knowing God and knowing yourself. That's how he opens up 1,800 pages describing the Christian faith. In other words, the most important thing about your life is, is, is what you say when someone says, who is God, and what you say when someone says, who are you? These two questions of identity and character, and by the way, this is exactly what we see happening for Moses, wrestling with these two. So you might be right there, 
and God wants to speak into those in your life. Here's the third one, okay? I said there were four. Crisis of belief. Who am I? Who are you? God says, tell them I am the God of completion, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then we get real. And Moses says, he protested. He says, well, what if? And this is the crisis of doubt. So you've spoken into who I am. You've spoken into who you are, God. But now it's just, I just doubt that it can happen. And the truth is, I love this because it's normalizing the idea that as we trust God in deeper ways, there's going to be doubts. Is God really going to come through? Is it really all going to be okay? And what, how God meets Moses in this crisis of doubt is to show him miracles. And specifically, he takes this staff that he's been carrying around for 40 years as a shepherd in Midian. He says, throw it down on the ground. I'm not making this up. Go read it for yourself. And it becomes a serpent. And Moses screams. I would, I would too. I hate snakes. He screams. And then God says, I want you to reach down and grab it by the tail, which no way. But Moses does it. And when he does it, it turns back into a staff. And the idea is this, that in a, in, a, in a very small, familiar way with a shepherd's staff, God shows him his power to overcome his doubts. He doesn't shame Moses and say, how dare you doubt me? He says, let me show you how powerful I am. Throw down the staff. Throw down what you have. Pick it back up in my power and watch it be transformed. This is so powerful. Take what you have in your hand, throw it down, and let God transform it to use you to be, participate in his rescue mission of people, to transform it in your life. And God will do that for you. God will demonstrate in small and significant ways his power, these only God stories that you can tell for years and years to your kids and grandkids of this. I can't explain it, but this is how God came through and demonstrated his power to me and overcame my doubts. Here's the last one. We move from the language of protest, by the way, if you look at it here, we go from Moses protested, Moses protested, Moses protested to Moses pleaded. Okay, let me say it in, in our vernacular. Moses begged. God, I, 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 I am begging you to please don't send me. This is like the inverse of Isaiah. Moses is saying, here am I, send somebody else. Send anybody else, somebody that's more qualified, somebody that would do a better job, somebody that's a more eloquent speaker. All of these, all of these things that Moses was saying, and, 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 and God speaks right into that and basically, again, assures him of his presence. And this is a crisis, don't you see, of fear. And, you know, I, I hear sometimes people say, um, well, you know, faith over fear, and if you, if you have faith, then you won't, you won't be afraid. You won't have fear. And, and all I can speak to is what the Bible says, and my experience in journeying with Jesus is that following Jesus and accepting his invitation to follow him in deeper and more significant ways always pulls fear out from you. Like God's call on your life also calls fear out from your life. And so I don't believe that be, just because you have faith and you trust God that you'll never feel the human emotion of fear. In fact, what I would say is if, if, you're, 
if you're listening to God and what he's really asking you to do in your life and how to follow him is if you don't feel the emotion of fear, you're probably not hearing God. Like, like if you don't get to a place where like I'm afraid on my own that this is going to fall, like if I step over here, Indiana Jones, that I'm going to fall to my death, like it's, you're not going to come through. I don't know if this is really going to happen. Then I'm, I'm not sure you're fully hearing the gravity of God's call in your life. So what I would say is that fear and faith are next door neighbors. So it's not wrong to feel the emotion of fear. And if you feel fear right now in your life, it's not wrong to feel the human emotion of fear. What's wrong is to take counsel from your fears. To allow fear to have a louder voice than God in your life. Because everyone watch this, we're almost done. The reason why I think this comes last and he's pleading and begging with God after this whole crisis of belief is because fear will shut down every other one of these words that God is speaking into Moses' life of identity and character and overcoming his doubts. It'll shut it completely down. And we see that from Genesis to Revelation, one of the most repeated blessings and charges and refrains from the angel of the Lord, from Jesus himself, to the people of God all throughout humanity are two simple words. Do you remember them? Fear not. Fear not. Why does God say that to all these faithful people? Because they were afraid. Because they felt the human emotion of fear of what it means to really trust God. Because if you really trust God, you know that you can't do it on your own. And you feel fear because you know you're very aware of your limitations and your past and all the doubts that you have. And by the way, it's better to doubt out loud than to disbelieve in silence. So many people, some of you in the room today and watching, you disbelieve in silence. And you never articulate that because you think God can't handle it or other people can't handle it. God is absorbing all of Moses' doubts and fears, his identity crisis, his crisis of belief. And God, he's absorbing all of that. He can hear it. He can handle it. What's clearly happening here and what happens in our lives is as God invites us, it means leaving one place, letting go of one bar and going to the next bar, going to the next place. God's call to is often a call from. And sometimes those orders are reversed, by the way. Back to what happened in our lives 15 years ago, we didn't know exactly what we were going to, but we knew that God was calling us from. Back to the story of Abraham. He didn't know where he was going, but God was calling him from. Sometimes God reveals where you're supposed to go. Sometimes God reveals where you're supposed to leave. I heard one preacher say it this way. When God closes one door, he opens up another door. But the hallway is hell. The hallway is hell. When God's closing one door, but he hasn't yet opened the other door. And some of you are right there. And it's a crisis of belief. So what I wonder is all four of these are up here and as we finish, I wonder where you are in this story. This is the story of Moses, but it's recorded for us for a reason. To speak into our crisis of belief. To know that it's a normal thing that as God invites us and calls us further, we're gonna have that crisis of belief. And to speak into all these, just for a moment, where are you on here? You might say, I'm all of them, but I wonder if there's one that sticks out to you that you're really wrestling with. And here's my application and challenge to you is, is to take a picture of that or write it down and to go and read and meditate on the passage that goes with the question or the part of the crisis of belief that you struggle most with in your life. 
to listen to God's words to your heart. You know, we talked about that phrase, I am, and it appears for the last time from Jesus' mouth, he uses that phrase multiple times when he's got his group of people, disciples right around him, just like us, and he says, I want you to go into all the world and I want you to make disciples. I want you to baptize people in the name of the Trinity. I want you to teach them truth that I've given to you. You remember his last phrase? Matthew 28, verse 20. I am. I am with you. Even till the end of the story. To the end, to the very end of the world, I am. And I'll be with you. The same promise that God gave to Moses. To Christ alone be the glory today. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this vulnerable story that we learned today, maybe in a fresh way. Thank you that you are always bringing us to places in our life. Sometimes it's hard to say thank you for this, but we do. We thank you that you're always bringing us to places in our life where we have to trust you more because it grows our faith. So God, would you give us the wisdom today to know what you're speaking to us from your word and give us the faith and the courage to take a step and obey you. In Jesus' name. Amen.